anyway, it very, very quickly became apparent to us that we didn't have enough cash to, to do that. That was, a, that was a big, big, big project. From Swoop, it's Take the Plunge, a podcast about how business owners decided to stop what they were doing and took the plunge to start their own business. We take a look at how they came to that decision and what those first crucial steps were in getting their business up and running. My name is Kieran Burke, and I'll be your host for this episode. This morning, we're joined by founder and managing director of Country and Townhouse, Jeremy Isaac. Established 12 years ago, Country and Townhouse has grown substantially as an independent media brand and has attracted a large number of readers across both its online and digital presence, as well as adding editorial supplements such as Schoolhouse, Country and Town Interiors, Great British and Irish Hotels, and Great British Business Brands. Um, you're very welcome this morning, Jeremy. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Very well indeed. And thank you very much indeed for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, if you don't mind uh, taking you back maybe 12, 13 years ago, and you could tell us maybe a little bit about what you were doing before Country and Townhouse and why you decided that wasn't the path for you and you, you were just, you decided you wanted to set up your own thing. Yeah, no, thanks, Karen, very much indeed. I mean, I guess the interesting thing about our story is that it's it's a very organic one. I had a business called Metropolis Publishing, um, which I started in 2001, and we built up a stable of eight local London magazines. So we had a Chelsea magazine, we had a Notting Hill magazine, we had a Battersea magazine, we had an Islington magazine, and they serviced sort of 40 to 50,000 affluent houses in each of those areas. And the, and, and the business model was to deliver, largely underpinned by estate agency advertising from the Savilleses and the Strutton Parkers and the Knight Franks and the Hamptons to reach the top end of their local area with great content. So as well as carrying very high-end property advertising, then the local fashion stores, the local jewellers, the local upmarket food and wine stores would be able to reach through a very targeted local magazine each of those areas. And we built that business up from 2001 to 2006. There's a company called Archant, who are a big, big regional newspaper publisher. They had developed mm -hmm. a strategy outside London, whereby they went out and bought up every Kent Life, Surrey Life, Sussex magazine, and built the, that stable up around the country. Uh, but they couldn't get a foothold into London. And so they approached us and said that they wanted to buy the Metropolis publishing business. Um, to fill in their missing gap in the, in, in the London market. So we sold to Archant um, in 2006. And so Country and Townhouse was very much born out of that acquisition and the plan mm -hmm. as to what I would think about doing next. Having gone through that experience with Metropolis Publishing, what did you feel was a bit different that you could get across with country and, and time. So having sold that business, I was obviously thinking about what I could do next. And, and, and the most glaringly obvious opportunity that I felt I had was this incredibly close relationship with the high-end real estate market. So this was this was this was 2006. It's quite a long time ago. And it really struck me that the the dream life for, for a lot of us to a greater or lesser extent was to work hard, play hard in London from Monday to Friday, and then be, whether it was staying at Limewood or staying at the Pig Hotel, or whether it was staying in your lovely country cottage in the Cotswolds or, or, or whatever it was, but that this mix of London 
and country with a lifestyle that everybody aspired to in quite a big way. Obviously, there is a institu- you know, a British publishing institution called Country Life, which has very much historically owned that marketplace. Um, but we did a lot of research on Country Life and felt that magnificent magazine, though it remains today, editorially, it was quite old fashioned. And, and so yeah. they would sort of very often have a muddy spaniel on the front cover or a dead pheasant on the front cover, or a sort of chintzy country cottage on the front cover. And we felt that that had very much moved on. And, and, and so it was our ambition to create a younger, cooler, sexier version of country life, I guess, yeah. much more aimed at the sort of 30 to 40 year old in London market than General Bufton Tufton in his sort of windy castle in, in, in Yorkshire market. And so, and, and, and also, most importantly, that the country life had a very, very strong position with the top end um, estate agency businesses, but it had never really managed to attract the big luxury, global luxury brands. So they were very strong on the housing side of things, but they never carried an ad from Cartier or Harry Winston or Boodles, mm-hmm. or, or Patek Philippe, or Rolex. So our proposition was very much to, 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 to bring together a magazine that not only carried the really beautiful London and country houses within it, but also to have a platform that would be attractive to the big luxury jewellery watch fashion brands. When you were kicking off either Metropolis, but I suppose let's, let's talk about country and townhouse, in those embryonic stages, that, that when you're first, you're setting your vision, you're setting yourself slightly different to to what the, the incumbent market is. How important were your first decisions around hiring staff or those first couple of publications? Like, talk me through your your, your thinking around that. So, I think the absolutely critical thing that that, that we have done, um, we're obviously a content business, and the absolutely crucial thing for us to achieve was quality of content that was as good as the national news, the newsstand magazines, the Vanity Fairs and mm-hmm. the Tatlers and the Harper's Bazaars and the House and Gardens that have been around for, for hundreds of years. And so I was lucky enough while I was at Metropolis Publishing to meet the woman who is now my wife and our editor-in-chief and with whom we co-founded the business together. And so what we had what we had identified, I mean, we, we, we were on the journey to achieve that with the Metropolis publishing business. And we had a Chelsea magazine called The Resident that was particularly strong. Um, and we were on the way to making all the other magazines we published at Metropolis as strong as that. But it was very clear to us right from the word go that, that, that we needed two things. A, as I've said, we, we before we launched the business, we, we, we ensured that we had this incredibly strong underpinning backbone of a of, of very high-end estate agency advertising support. So, so mm-hmm. you know, before we, before we launched the magazine, I knew that I had to have Knight Frank, Savills, Hamptons, absolutely believing in what we were doing and supporting it to a huge level. And I mean, I think that we had, I think we had £80,000 worth of property advertising in the launch issue before anything else Amazing. in the whole in the whole magazine. But the other thing that was completely critical then to bring the Cartiers and the Harry Winstons and the Rolex and the Patek Philippe's on board was mm-hmm. that it had to be, you know, best in class from an editorial point of mm-hmm. view. 
Um, and that was where Lucy, um, you know, brought the brought her amazing skills um, to to, to yeah. be. And of course, you know, back in back in two thousand and seven when we launched, you know, we were the, the, there wasn't really a magazine like ours. You know, certainly yeah. Cartier had never advertised in a free targeted distribution magazine. The Evening Standard was still paid for in those days. Time Out was still paid for in those days. None of the stylists or any of those magazines that you get on the tube existed. And so, you know, the challenge to go into Cartier or Harry Winston and say, we think you should be taking the outside back cover or the inside double page spread of this free distribution magazine mm-hmm. was a really, really big conversation to have. And the reason, yeah, what, go on. What was, uh, yeah, what was the reaction to that uh, at that time? Like, like you said, there wasn't the, the likes of a Metro or Evening Standard as a commonplace strategy. So what was people's reaction to say, hey, I'm giving away this for free? Like, what, what, what were people I saying? I think, I mean, it took, it took a lot of convincing, but mm-hmm. the convincing came about because of the quality of the content. And therefore, they, they certainly didn't sign up overnight. But, but mm-hmm. three or four months, three or four months into seeing... There's, you know, every yeah. single page written by somebody who they knew or who they recognised yeah. from the national magazines or the national newspapers. Just digging into that, because I think you referred to it quite a few times here. It's quality content, and that definitely is what drives people to your publications. Getting that level of writer consistently, is that down to just excellent networking, good negotiation? How, how are you able to continually get great writers to come and, and write for your publication? I think a mixture, a mixture of all of those things. I think the, you know, the concept of creating this great magazine about the best of both worlds, the, 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 the great things you can do in London, the great things you can do in the country, the positioning of it in a sort of younger, more refreshing, stylish, fun way. The freedom, I mean, Lucy was very clever in the people that we approached had all been working, as I say, uh, uh, at Condé Nast or at Hearst or at NatMags, and you know, were given much less freedom to write about what they wanted to write about. They were much more pigeonholed than they ever were with us. And the opportunity to join a sort of complete brand new startup is 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 quite exciting to become part of something that had never existed before, you know, to stamp their name as a sort of founding editor as a part of that. So I think we managed to generate a real excitement around the launch. Um, I think everybody bought into the concept of what we were trying to do. Yeah, and then and then obviously the networking side of things was great. But I mean that that has definitely been our key sort of our key sort of flagship message all the way through the the the, yeah. the combination of, of of this very clever targeted distribution with the fact that you are getting for free delivered through your letterbox in your London house, this magazine that normally would cost you four or five pounds on the newsstand. What I find pretty interesting is you you launched this in, say, 2006. At that same time, you had what we now have, social media, BMOX, launching their businesses. Um, how big an impact did digital and social media start to become on the biz, uh, for your business? And when did you guys start taking it seriously as a channel and start thinking about how to, to distribute by those, by those channels? That's a very good question. So when we launched, we invested significantly in trying to create an online business 
at the same time. Mm -hmm. Our vision at the time was that every single house that was advertised in the magazine would also then be online and that you could then search. You could search not only the house, but you could search the attractive elements of the local areas. The whole schools thing that you referred to in your introduction mm -hmm. has been a very big part of our business. And we launched our schoolhouse magazine concurrently with the Country and Townhouse magazine. So the very first issue of Country and Townhouse in March 2007 was wrapped with our school's guide because, again, this, this sort of dream lifestyle that we're trying to sort of cover in, in Country and Townhouse you know, also incorporates where you send your kids to school and why you might you know, move from London a little bit later when the kids are a bit older to put them into a country school rather than a London school, etc., etc. So, so our plan was that you could find this 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 beautiful house in Gloucestershire in the magazine. That was then on our website. You could then search the best schools in that area. You could then see where the gastro pubs are. You could see where the nearest beach. All of that sort of thing. Anyway, it very, very quickly became apparent to us that we didn't have enough cash to, to do that. That was a that was a big, big, big project. And at the same time, the um, the right moves and the prime locations were taking off. And so whilst all of the property guys were really happy, obviously, they were paying to be in the country and townhouse magazine, but they weren't so keen to be paying prime location and right move and us yep. online and just the sheer scale of trying to be able to do a sort of luxury country search as it were online became became too much for us so and 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 you know added to that of course with the we launched in march 2007 the business took off like a rocket but six months later we were in 2008 mm -hmm. and so rather than you know we we, we, we very quickly uh, had to had to realize that we were sort of pulling out all the stops not to not to go under throughout 2008 yeah. 2009 just doing what we were doing let alone um trying to launch a, a, a you know a, at least a multi hundreds of thousands of pounds if not a multi-million digital business so we then sort of put the brakes on digitally and uh, unless we've been incredibly clever in creating our own property hub to, to, to compete against right move or prime location, which would have been a, a really big challenge. I think we probably did the right thing, actually, and we then just went back to focusing on the print business, mm -hmm. which, which, which continued to grow and was fine. And, and we sort of, we watched and waited what the big groups were doing, um, how they mm -hmm. were spending their money, what was working for them, what wasn't working for them. And, you know, the, the was, um, there were some massive, massive mistakes being made by, by, by some of the other big, big media groups who sort of launched several multi, multi-million product projects that then had to be snowboard, you know, uh, put, put, mm -hmm. put away. And, uh, and so we, we then, it's really only in the last sort of four years that, 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 that we've then sort of decided that we now have a, a strategy that, that, that we really feel confident about and is beginning mm -hmm. to show that it, it, it it's relevant and working for our for our business. With that, looking into the last four years, you you now have a significant digital footprint uh, with tens of thousands of followers across all your channels, whether that's Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. What that requires is a huge amount of content and a voracious appetite of consumers to consume that content. How do you manage that in terms of being able to constantly feed those channels and and the need of of people's appetite to, to consume content. So I guess what we what we have done is, I mean, we, we've obviously got 
a huge amount of historical content. Um, you know, we've got mm -hmm. 12 years of content that, you know, proves evergreen in, in, in lots and lots of ways. We've had a, we've had a very strong digital only editorial team for the last four years. What we've decided to do recently, and one of the immediate things that we decided to do when we came into lockdown in March, is to move the publishing frequency of the main country and townhouse magazine from monthly to bi-monthly. And that has then meant that Lucy and her team, her, her print editorial team, um, now have a huge amount more time to work with the digital editorial team. So we now have you know, seven people basically working full-time on the digital content business, as well, of course, as all of our contributors that are writing not only for the monthly magazine and all of the special issues that we publish. So we've got a big, big team to call upon in terms of, in terms of content across all of our pillars. We, we, we historically started, we have a, we have a, we have a culture content pillar called What's On, which is our weekly newsletter business at the moment that has 50,000 subscribers receiving a weekly e-newsletter. And then our plan is to develop seven other content pillars out of the areas in which we're a strongest in terms of historical and the ability to develop new content. And B, we have the strongest commercial partnership relationships. So as we move forward, we've already launched an interiors hub, e-newsletter, podcast, etc., etc., And then we're planning to launch property, travel and hotels, food and drink, wellness and beauty, style, and a, and a schools, um, a schools pillar as well. Just, just, just a few. Jim. Just a few. But I mean, those are all the areas in which, you know, those are all, yeah. those pillars are all contained within the existing business. Yeah. But we've recognized that we can reach more people more often across the areas in which we know that they're already engaging. We've talked a lot there about, about the content side of the business and um, you kind of alluded to a little bit around uh, the joys of 2008. How much have you enjoyed the, the management side of the business, working it from a financial point of view, uh, planning it, modeling it? Is that something you enjoy? Has, is it a constant stress? What, what's your experience on, on that side of things? One thing I'd say, and in terms of one of the key, the key points of, 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 of your podcast, back to Word Go, we were very lucky in the, that we brought on board some incredibly supportive investors right from, the, mm -hmm. right from day one. So, you know, we, we've, we've now seen in the past three years, three pretty tumultuous situations, the 2008-2009, um, you know, recession, the 2015 introduction of hugely high stamp duty prices on the property market, massively reduced the, the amount of monthly property advertising we were getting. So we had to pivot there and grow our non-property advertising revenues very significantly then. And then, of course, March this year has presented pretty major challenges um, to all of us across the board. So I think my sort of my number one message was establishing right from the word go that we had investors that were going to stick with the business through thick and thin. Yeah, it's been absolutely fascinating modeling and, and dealing with the finances of the business and being a small independent media business, shifting from being wholly print reliant into, into digital and frankly, you know, staying alive through 2008, 2009, and, and steering our way particularly through, you know, this first, this first element of lockdown. It's a pretty all-consuming task. Mm -hmm. you know, and when one's then trying to be the publisher and the MD, and quite often the sort of a, 
an important part of the sales team. It keeps you it keeps you pretty busy. But no, it's been it's been it's been really interesting and yeah, you know, and creating a brand. I mean, I think that's that's the other thing that that people underestimate is how long and mm-hmm. how hard in this you know, incredibly ever changing market it is to to create a brand that really really has value and builds respect. On that, was there a moment um, after launching Country in Ten Heads where you started to feel and notice uh, amongst readers or people you would you would meet that there was strong recognition for the brand? Was there a moment where you're like, oh yeah, this is this is becoming synonymous with with the demographic that I that I want it to be? Well, I think from from a commercial point of view, the first time that the the Cartier, as I say, who were our sort of dream sort of goal target advertisers, said we really like this, we want to have an outside back cover of Country and Townhouse, when we knew that they had never done that before. That was a that was a massive tick um, to us in the box. And then, you know, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, we, 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 we're now able to analyze it far, far more closely. But you know, when, when, when you're print only, it's really only anecdotal stories that you hear. But, you know, I, I love the fact that we have a quote from Elizabeth Hurley saying that she loves country and townhouse so much because she bought a five million pound house in Herefordshire that she had found in the magazine. Or that, you know, I've got a I've got a testimonial from a jeweler saying that JK Rowling came into their jewelry shop in Chelsea and 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 bought a necklace with a copy of Country and Townhouse in her handbag saying, that's the thing that I want. So, you know, we've we've got this amazing sort of level of testimonials from 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 brands that we work with saying, you know, this incredible person came in and spent a huge amount of money mm-hmm. with you know, as a result of country and townhouse. But clearly the whole digital strategy is going to bring us much, much closer to our customers and we're very excited about that. What I wanted to to ask next was around the ever-changing landscape, particularly within the publishing and a media industry. And do you still get as much energy and exhilaration of having to wear so many different hats and learn so many different skills like you just touched on with digital now you get so much closer to the customer because you've got that instant side of things from from the data analytics and the insights that you can you can pick up online is that something that's exciting you to get all these these new skills in or is it something you you look to in terms of the talents that you now bring into the business no, I think it's 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 really really exciting. I mean, I think I think the most fun thing for me of of all of this thing has been that you know, none of it existed before we started. It's it's a completely from scratch organic business. So, not only the Country and Townhouse magazine, all of the the schools magazine, the hotels magazine, the interiors magazine, Great British Brands, all of our online initiatives. So we're, we're, we're constantly growing and building and creating new things with very talented editorial people, with very talented designers and production and graphic people. You know, we created a podcast from, 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 from nothing that's now had nearly 250,000 downloads in the last sort of 12, 14 months, um, interviewing all of the top people in the interiors market. So. You know, that has now edited brilliantly by our interiors editor, um, Carol Annett. So, so, so that has now positioned us as, as a sort of, as an important part of the whole interiors industry alongside magazines like House and Garden and World of Interiors. So, so I think that I hope one of the nice things about Country and Townhouse is that anybody can come into the office. Um, not that that many of them are coming into the office at the moment, but anybody could come into the office on a Monday morning 
um, and say, I have had this amazing idea. And we'll test it and we'll speak to the market and we'll, but every single thing that we've done has, has come about from that and from a member of the team coming in and saying that. And somebody says, look, you know, why don't we, Fiona, who edits our hotels guide, is the Sunday Telegraph Hotels editor. She said, I've been trying to get the Telegraph to launch a hotels guide for ages. They're not interested. It's too small for them. Um, shall we have a look? And, and, and we rang 20 of the top hotels in the UK and said, this is our idea. Would you support it? And, and 18 out of 20 said yes. And if, you know, 18 out of 20 had said no, we wouldn't have done it. Um, 18 out of 20 said yes. So we launched it. And, uh, yeah, we're able to we're able to move really, really quickly without loads of red tape and without loads of and so and uh, you know, again that's that's why I'm excited about this digital opportunity that we've got because you know, we've got the content, we've got the client relationships, um, we've built the platform, we can see already how quickly our interior e-newsletters growing. And mm -hmm. so this concept of being able to say, well, you can either reach the whole country and townhouse audience, you know, which currently has whatever, two and a half million monthly page views, or if you're Farrow and Ball or you're Colfax and Fowler or you're Neptune, you can just reach the 30, 40,000 people that are just engaged in our interiors content or just engaged in our travel content or just engaged in our style content. So it's delivering this very targeted, engaged, affluent audience to each of our sort mm -hmm. of commercial brand partners. I think something that comes really clearly when you're talking about your business and, and past business is your understanding of who the core customer is and who your audience is you're talking to. How important do you think that knowledge is when going about setting up a, a business and how crucial has it been for you guys to really know who your customer is? Very, very important. But again, I think you know we've, we've been lucky to that extent in that it was very much an organic progression from the, 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 the Metropolis publishing business um, mm -hmm. into this in that, you know, we already <clears throat> had a reputation and a knowledge about how to reach them. It becomes harder in the digital space because the print business has a very marked out audience. One of the challenges and also the opportunity of the digital business is because it's going to allow us to reach a lot more people and, and a lot mm -hmm. more people more often, we are going to have to be very fleet of foot and clever ab about how we bring those target markets together. And that's something we're working on constantly. One of the upsides of Country and Townhouse is that it has a little bit of everything in it. It has beautiful houses, beautiful interiors, a bit of fashion, a bit of watches, a bit of food, a bit of wine. Yeah, it's a genuine lifestyle magazine. But of course, because there's nothing really to hate in there, you have to be quite careful about then making sure you're you're really going to people that, that that like it. And it's also sometimes quite hard to define. You know, I know 25 year olds who really love it, but my mum, who's just 80, reads it from cover to cover too. So there is a probably only because she's my mum. But we're going to have to be better at targeting and marketing to those audiences as we move forwards and identifying. Yeah. Identifying the online audience is going to be harder than identifying the print audience, I suppose is my point. In that vein of, of ever changing, ever adapting, you, you touched on that you have an openness within the team, if they have ideas, that they're free to share it and, and to test it out. Has that been a kind of an important strategy for you guys as you've changed as a business to take ideas from within your team and, and to test that within the market? Yeah, I hope. I mean, you know, we've got a we've got a very small team of, of, of 22 people um, in an office in, in, in Fulham. One of the things that, again, I'm really proud of is that six of us started the business in 2007 and five of those guys are still with the business. So I think, you know, they they, they all feel 
very invested in the company. They, they, you know, we've been through we've been through quite a lot of rough as well as um, the occasional periods of smooth. And uh, so we'd all know each other very well. I think we all have a huge amount of mutual respect. Yeah, and they all feel absolutely that the business is very much a part of them and that they're free to. So I hope that I hope that we engender that culture. Um, throughout as we go forwards, as in any business, you know, there are, there are there are some people who are you know keen to come forwards than others. But we hope that it's an environment in which you know, literally everybody can can come up with ways of innovating and improving the business. Now, I suppose looking further ahead and hopefully for more smoother times ahead, is it this digital piece that's that's got you most excited and exhilarated, and where you see um country and townhouses future going we are absolutely not believers in print being dead at all we see the print business and the digital business working hand in hand probably fulfilling different purposes and obviously particularly i mean you know the, the really interesting thing with with you know, our challenge 12 years ago in terms of the cartier outside back cover discussion yeah you know, what we're now saying is our business is around delivering best in class content for free, mostly for free. We're on sale in Waitrose, we're on sale in Marks and Spencers, we're on sale in Smiths, we're on sale all over the country. But essentially, our USP is if you are a luxury a luxury brand, from a property brand to an interiors brand to a jewellery brand to a watch brand to a wine company to a private school, um, we can proactively put your message in front of this incredibly targeted audience that are likely to be engaged with your message around this great, great content, but we're doing that for free. We're proactively putting your message into Chelsea, Notting Hill, Holland Park, Kensington, Belgravia, Knightsbridge. Uh, and so, you know, we don't have the challenge that, that, that so, so if I can deliver that to a million people rather than half a million people, which we're currently doing every month at the moment, or five million people, um, then that's great. You know, we don't, we don't have the challenge of worrying about losing subscriptions or newsstand mm, sales. Mm. So, so, so our print business and our, our digital business are not clashing. There's no clash at all between those two businesses. They can work hand in hand. And I think that there will, you know, I think for, I think there will probably always be, um, a demand for a beautiful glossy magazine with an amazing branding outside back cover, reaching a very large number of the right people. But I think the digital business allows you to do much more immediate, much more clever, much more engaged, immediately sort of day-to-day -day conversations with people um, that you clearly can't do with a monthly magazine. And so I, I very much see them both working hand in hand. We see the print business growing, but, but, but we see the digital business growing much, much more quickly. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us on Take the Plunge. It's been absolutely fascinating and a real joy just to hear the passion you have for the brand, for the business and the excitement you have both for the, the publication and all the digital channels that are coming with it. Thanks so much for, again, for, for sharing the story and coming on today. It's been brilliant having you. No, no, no. Well, thank you very much indeed for having me on. And it's been a pleasure chatting to you too. Thank you very much indeed.